we're talking about scientists in the public eye who oversell what they know, what they're qualified to say. We're, we're talking about them as inevitable products of a system that doesn't really want to deal with mistakes. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. James, have you seen that we are now on Open Science Framework? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You 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 told me. You told me more than once. How would I how would I miss that, Daniel? Well, I think I think it's important. Uh, I remember um, a few months ago, I got a bit of a scare because uh, I read a, I read a story that um that SoundCloud had like run out of money. <laughs> And it was it was about to collapse the next day, and uh, it it really worried me about um, where our our podcast would actually be hosted, and um, basically just where our files files would be because only some of them are actually saved on my hard drive. They just live on SoundCloud now, so I thought it would be um, a great idea to actually put our podcast on Open Science Framework. One of the things I love about Open Science Framework is uh, they're guaranteed. I think it's fifty years. So if they run out of money tomorrow. They are good with your data for fifty years. So I don't know what you're going to be doing in fifty. I don't know what you're going to be doing fifty years. Dying, Daniel. I'll be dying. You'll be dying. (laughs) But it's there, Um, and uh, it's a great way. Uh, Some people have actually um, uh, have cited the podcast in. I think so far just in blog posts. But now that it's on Open Science Framework, um, each episode has a permanent URL. And possibly one thing we can do- Does it is have a permanent DOI? We can give DOIs to every single episode. And that's something I'm going to do next week. <laughs> so That's so fucking academic. I know. I know. So, I'm going to add DOIs. Right now, every single episode uh, has a URL and the show notes and the MP3 file. Uh, so I've been it's a just, busy yeah, boy. And yeah, you get all money from people. You start fixing everything up exactly the way you were supposed to. Exactly, you're so disgustingly reliable. <laughs> so this, um, yeah, I, I think this is going to be this is going to be fantastic. And uh, yeah, speaking of um, hosting, we are going to be switching hosts. Um, maybe by the time you listen to this episode, we'll be on our new host. I'm actually doing the um, uh, the migration now across it's to all, our. It's all happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll you'll if you're doing the migration now, you'll be thrown out at the border. That's the thing now. Yeah, that's what happens now. But uh, yeah, so maybe maybe by the time you listen to this, uh, you, we will be on our on our new host. But regardless, everything will stay the same. Um, just if you if you're subscribed on your on your podcast app, nothing's going to change. Um, but we are going to have a new host, and we're going to have a shiny new website as well so it's exciting times and that's all thanks to uh to all our all of our patreon supporters um which um who, who are doing a fantastic job supporting the um the, the podcast but um podcast day podcast day is, is, is the uh is and speaking of podcast days um you, you um <laughs> sent me you sent me the recording of the uh the sound education conference that you did uh late last year and I, oh I, yeah yeah this is a great video it's about 20 
25 minutes, which we will add to the show notes. Basically. Did you did you watch it, Daniel? As I told you, I was doing it, and then I uh, immediately left and went back to work. <laughs> I, a, I know, did. My life I, is a rich, full adventure. Did you watch it? I watched the first 20 minutes, and then- um, It's only 20 minutes long, Daniel. That's about 25 minutes. I watched basically everything up until the last few minutes because my hands were freezing because it's like minus 15 outside, and when I was watching it, it was outside. But it is a great- um, Yeah. I, I, what, are I, you I not think- allowed to watch me in the house? No. But there's there's law there's laws against this. <laughs> I just can't do it. I, I can't I can't let, I can't let my daughter hear hear your voice. She'll she'll be she'll it's be a, horrified. It's a public presentation, Daniel. The language was all very appropriate. It, it, but, yeah, it was. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm glad you watched that. I mean, what was it on? It's is uh, the whole conference was about podcasting, and it was about how I see what we do. I suppose is a reasonable mm. reflection of it. Yeah, and it is. It is not. I mean, uh, there's a lot of professional podcasts that fill a need, and there's a lot of unprofessional podcasts that fill a need. So it's about how I see professionalism and access when it comes to what we do. Mm. And yeah, I think how I think much did, did how great, much great I like the fact that other podcasts are starting and kind of. Things about the podscape, the ecosystem in general. Some of it's quite dry, um, and I was on a very uncomfortable chair, which is not anyone's fault. <laughs> well, so you can see I'm, for yourself I'm if you watch the video. Sitting like an ogre, so you can see me in my my, my most ogreish and double chinned, um, bent over trying to get comfortable in a plastic <laughs> chair, which is something that I always do until I realise I'm being recorded and I look really ridiculous. So you can you can enjoy me looking uh, fanciful and. Um, generally untoward and talking so, about podcasting if anyone gives a shit of course i mean it's a, it would be more interesting if you wanted to start your own or you're interested in the mechanics of it so but i think it's interesting just the, the the how and why behind the show i enjoyed it and i think um, i think you might too listeners but today we um we're going to be answering two two listener questions um the first one is is, is a shorter one that we got over Twitter DM. If you have any questions, Twitter DM is a fantastic uh, Now, way. I haven't seen this, so I'm getting blindsided with this one. I love getting blindsided. Yeah. Blindside me, boyo. Okay, this is from uh, from Ryan Williams, who's a listener from Nottingham. Uh, yeah. What is yeah. it about the UK and, and us? I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe it's a sense of humor. It's, uh, I, yeah, uh, big shout out to uh, UK listeners who are currently dealing with the fact that they're the political political governance of their country is currently rending its own anus to <laughs> bloody shreds. Oh, um, it's a mess. I, I, in, your, yeah. in your failed state, they're getting to bring back the Queen territory by now. But anyway, what's the question? Well, before we get that, I actually got an email from the Research Council of Norway, which basically said, think extremely carefully if you're going to be collaborating with English researchers for Horizon 2020. And I, think, and I, I just felt really Ooh. bad for all these English researchers who, who are losing out. On, on collaborations, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, anyway, back I to- I don't like that. That, bad, that gives me bad, the bad, anxieties. Bad. Back back to Ryan's questions. Okay, uh, this is from Ryan. Go, Ryan. Uh, uh, greetings, Dan and James. Uh, this is I'm Ryan from Nottingham, big fan of the podcast. You two are a joy to listen to, and it's a pleasant way for a PhD student to switch off, but also not switch off. That's nice. That, that's a nice change from um, unprofessional and uninformed. I, I, I like it. Um, well, anyway, yeah. I know. <laughs> anyway, I know you're probably buried in podcast ideas, well, with very little time, 
That's that's true. Uh, but I have a very broad idea that I thought could make for an interesting question. Okay, here it is, James. I'll get you to answer it first. If you mm. could do your P- if you could do your PhD again, what would you do differently? I, it would be great to hear what you would slash wouldn't do now that you have the fortune of hindsight. Oh yeah, that's uncharacteristically easy to answer. Um. I was fortunate enough that I had a very good technical background in what I wanted to study before I started doing it. Um, I would have thought about what analytical skills I needed over the next ten to twenty years. What to what to like data data comes in, data must be addressed. How should it be addressed? I would have tried to future-proof what I've learned by thinking what is the what is the best language slash statistical software slash set of skills that will sustain me in and or out of academia from the very beginning rather than trying to apply that ad hoc to problems as they came up. I would have treated the whole thing as an exercise in skill development where the papers and the thesis were secondary right from the very beginning. Now, that did happen. Um, I, I wrote some papers in my PhD, and the papers were the focus. But in retrospect, the papers should have got done anyway, and the skills should have been the focus. I'm lucky enough that they kind of happened anyway. The second big thing I would have done is started talking to more people more often. I You may have noticed if you've listened to more than maybe 25 seconds of this show that I am occasionally antisocial. Um, that is significantly ameliorated over email. Um, I can't say I would have gone to more conferences because we lived in Australia a lot of the time. We didn't have the money. Nope. Um, nope. You know, it was, it was look, it, this is this is something that happens in America all the time. They're like, oh, I could go down to the conference. I'm like, oh, I could go down to that conference. And I look up the total cost of flights and accommodation. And even in US to Australian dollars, the cost of the whole thing um, is occasionally half the cost of a one-way airfare from Australia to anywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> even with like, like yeah, we've we've got a we've got a travel budget, but you can kill your travel budget in one conference. And that's why we don't who- have the thesis defense because we can't afford to fly anyone in for it. Oh, I never thought of that. Um, I infinitely prefer that. But yeah, look, the, the <laughs> other, the other, the other thing I would have, I would have tried to talk to more people more often about the nature of what I was doing. Um, people who are working on isolated technical problems can be fiercely social when you're interested in their isolated technical problem. So those, those are the two big things I would have treated it as what it is, a springboard for learning skills that are designed to support my livelihood one way or the other for the next decade or two. And double down, double down on making sure that, I mean, if the ass fell out of the whole thing, I had to get some other job. What do you come to some other job with? People go, well, I've got a PhD in something really specific. Dumb thing to say. You've got the ability to in, in in most normative PhDs, you have the ability to run experiments, analyze data, read large blocks of text quickly, write mm. well under pressure, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things are isolated skills. There's a whole world that needs people to research stuff and put words in order. What are you, And, of course, analyze data and put it in order. 
Mm. You'd seen any jobs for data scientists recently, <laughs> Daniel? It's so uh, it's insane. That's, that's what I would have done. I like it. It wasn't quite one minute. It was more like five. But that's all right. it's good, yeah. good. It was good stuff. Do Look, you think that was a good answer? I think it was a good answer. My, all right, my, what's your answer? My answer would be somewhat similar. Um, I would have actually learnt to code and learnt more computational stuff. Um, it's just something that I had to teach myself. I'm still teaching myself now, but especially during my postdoc. Um, I just I just didn't think it would be important at the time. For me, it was let's get the result. And if I can get the result through SPSS, that was fine. Uh, and related to that, I think the other thing I would have done is I would have spent more time reading. Uh, I had the same problem in that I was reading purely to help me with my current problem. Yeah. So I have I have data. I want to I want to ask a research question. I want to be able to understand data that I'm getting. Uh, so I was reading papers and books that would help me do those things, but I wasn't actually reading widely enough, right. and I wasn't just reading papers that were sort of perhaps not directly relevant to what I was doing at the time. This is stuff I'm only doing now, and I'm just getting I'm getting so many ideas um, and just just a, such a better understanding of my field from reading stuff that's slightly slightly peripheral that doesn't necessarily help me solve my problem right now. And at the time, I was just thinking, I've got, got to finish my PhD. I've got to publish papers. And so, all my time was spent towards just just doing the analysis, not spending- it, You know, I think learning R or learning scripting, in one sense, is one step back, two steps forward. But if you don't look forward enough in time, all you see is the one step back and the time taken to actually do it and not the benefits it's going to give you over the long term. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure whether the ecosystem was- a, the ecosystem was not around like it is now when it comes to learning scripting. Sure, there was stuff online and there was people that could have helped me. But now, gee, if you want to pick up this stuff, there's, there's no better time to, to, to learn R with the amount of blog posts that are out there, Stack Overflow, um, and just, just the way yeah, that things are moving. It's, it's, a data, it's a data-focused world. Um, it's a, it's, it's some incredible. Things, some things move slowly. Some things move very quickly, et cetera, et cetera. Wave my hand. Saffron Rose sitting <laughs> on a mountain. There you go. Advice. Good advice, Dan. I do not share your desire to read widely because I, unlike you, had the benefit of a whole master's program where mm. I did more or less nothing but read widely, develop concerns, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, read, read, read things that were peripherally related because I wanted to, because I was curious back when I still had feelings. <laughs> Now that's good been, question. Uh, yeah, nice th discreet question. Thanks too. for the question, Ryan. And as a bonus, uh, for because we used Ryan's question on the show, uh, I've actually sent him our two bonus episodes that we typically have for our Patreon supporters. I sent him over email. So anyone else, if you have a those, question, those bonus episodes are good because they're never going to be for public consumption. So. You know, I mean, we don't exactly have a glo glo filtered, glo gloves are a filtered off. podcast, but uh, they, they, they can be- um, The Hertz lawyer. I, I, tell, I, I tell the Hertz stringent. lawyer to take the day off <laughs> for, those, for, those, for those episodes. Uh, but yes, we I sent- start thinking, We should start thinking about prizes for people who send questions we can use. Well, I did send Ryan a prize. I sent him the bonus episodes, but we're going to have more than that. Oh, Dan, you need to send him a ton of gravel. <laughs> well, shipping would, isn't isn't he too far in from, 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 from Norway to Nottingham. Under it. I, 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 uh, it'd be cheaper to visit him in person. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that as a prize. Imagine, Your imagine that's a prize. Surprise! Oh yeah. 
I didn't. I don't remember ordering an Easter Island statue. No, what is this no. thing? No, send, it's me, Dan. Send it. Send it back. So Horror. yes. So thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the question, Ryan. And uh, anyone else that uh, sends in a question that we use in the show. Um, if you aren't already a Patreon supporter, we will send you um, bonus bonus episodes. Our last bonus episode was actually on ResearchGate. Um, and uh, yeah, a, a lot of people got back to us saying that they, they really enjoyed the discussion there. One question we often get from listeners is how they can support the show. And we have two ways. The first is financially via Patreon. And uh, we have two support tiers. The first one is a dollar a month. And with that, you get the Everything Hurts newsletter, access to behind the scenes photos and videos, and that warm feeling that you are supporting the show. Uh, If you join our $5 Professor Fancy Pants tier, you get access to all those things. And in addition to that, uh, an exclusive mini episode, which is released every single month. Our last episode was on ResearchGate, and that was quite popular. So if you sign up, you get access to all the bonus episodes moving forward, but also the back catalogue of bonus episodes. The second way you can you can support the show is via social media. We would love it if you could post about the show on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Snapchat, whatever platform you are using. Now, let's get back to the show. On to our, our second question. Um, and this... Uh, okay. So, I'm, I'm going to read out this question. Um, it's uh, it might take me a minute or two, but I think I think it's important. And I sent this to you um, a few days ago, and and I saw your your I saw your eyes light up, like I, in my mind's eyes. Yes. You read it, and you were pretty excited. So okay, I'm just going to read it out. Okay, go down. I uh, go down. And this is anonymous. Okay, go I'm down. not sure if this is a topic that you care about, but I would love it if you guys could talk about an academic's responsibility towards being truthful and keeping their statements to what they actually know. I am feeling increasingly uncomfortable with academics in media saying stuff that is either completely untrue or way beyond their expertise and pretending like what they say are absolute truths. In my view, they are using their title as academic to give a shimmer of truthiness to whatever, uh, to saying whatever they want to say, like fairy dust. I think I am no hardliner when it comes to the morals of science. Uh, it should say enough that I do psych research in the industry context, but when we as scientists got our PhD degrees, we made a pledge about our responsibilities to society. And if that is too much, at least we should have some pride and integrity when it comes to our profession, which is, to me, not to tell lies or to pretend we know things that we have no clue about. Uh, I think in the end, regardless of any pressure from whichever source, we have the responsibility to seek and tell what we know is true, however messy or tentative. This responsibility holds especially when your field is already viewed with scepticism and even more when a scientist's work is is financed by the government. To illustrate my point, I heard a person that I'll not name. uh, They actually did, but we're not going to name uh, on Dutch TV, <laughs> the IA, the uh, the implicit association test will reveal how you actually feel about fat people. Granted, it is Dutch TV, so who cares anyway? Besides a handful of people, but with that, uh, what I know and stand for as a psychologist, I felt angry and embarrassed by what was said. He is using his authority to say things that are debatable at best, and lay people will take them as the truth, even if nobody or any or everybody knows it is untrue. Or it does not matter in the grand scheme of things, and these are harmless, media-friendly sound bites. I find it painful and puzzling. Are these academics dumb, forced, tricked, or do they assume that nuance or the truth is not convincing? I genuinely have compassion for the struggles that academics go through to keep their head above water, so I'm trying my hardest to make excuses for these scientists, which may mo- mostly boil down to pressure. But I cannot shake the feeling that these scientists have become caricatures, forgot their responsibility as scientists, and will say about anything that will make them more popular. 
Even if you agree with me, do you think that other scientists have a means or a responsibility to call out scientists who use their academic title to tell blatant untruths? Am I petty, naive, sensitive, or too easily excitable to get wound up about this issue over and over again? James Heathers, what do you what do you think about this? Well, there's a very simple, straightforward answer to all of that, which will take about 20, maybe 30 seconds, except, oh, no, that's right, there really isn't. Wow, <laughs> where to start? The First of all, fucking solid ripper question, Ex- extremely Dutch question, like simultaneously expressing an appropriate amount of self-skepticism while pointing out the fact that other people are wrong. Um <laughs> So, which an attitude for which I am I am deeply in love. I got a friend now who's considering going to work in the Netherlands, and I'm, I'm trying hard to be balanced about the the prospect for her, um, as opposed to going fucking do it, <laughs> do it, um, you know. But it's a, also a, a lovely, lovely, subtle slam on Dutch TV there. Um, but you're right. The rest of us can't listen to it because it uh, it, it sounds like gamecocks gargling underwater. <laughs> um, one of the central problems with people, I think, of a certain kind of personality is that they paint themselves into a kind of mental corner. They have an idea about how everything should be structured, and they they say it, a simplified version. They get a lot of positive feedback and people telling them that they're brilliant. Um, it gains exposure. The same thing happens. The ideas gradually become watered down. It gains exposure. Everyone tells them that they're brilliant. And before you know it, they're on television going, the IAT will tell you how you really feel about fat people, which is not, I mean, uh, presumably this was in the context of fat people and it wasn't a uh, one about race or something. What about ra- <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Probably about- It's like, oh, yeah. God, how, do we, how do we split people into ethnic groups? Oh, wait, I hate fat people. Um, it seems reasonably unlikely. The, there is a human temptation to- believe your own press and and to react to praise in a way where it gives you confidence and it can strip away skepticism that should be there. People will do like pigeons or flatworms what they're rewarded for. Mm. And you can find people that you respect. I'm sure a lot of people may have this happen to them. You can find someone you respect who's written good books, who goes out into public and then moves off topic and then eventually says something so dumb you have this thought that is akin to, I don't even know who you are anymore. I thought I knew you. So, I mean, Richard Dawkins, the ecologist who wrote books that everyone was like, oh, this is this is an interesting research-driven description of XYZ. Which is his background. Which is, which is which, yeah, which is directly derived from things that he understands very well. And he writes those and, and he has a kind of a serious cachet and at some point in time dissolves into a, a kind of a hectoring old man parody <laughs> of – and. 
you, you you end up with this idea that your your intellect is promiscuous somehow. Um, you lose the temptation to say, "I'm sorry, I don't understand that." Mm. And everyone everyone who receives that loses sight of their own limitations to some degree. I mean, I've done media stuff. I've said many things in public, but I try to keep a handle on what I know I don't know. And I wonder what would happen if there were a hundred thousand people who would immediately tell me that anything I said was ah brilliant, ha ah, classic. Do you know the <laughs> classic the, heathers? The, do you know the the philosopher slash um man with the appearance of a, a a guy with one shoe and three socks raving in a bus shelter in the middle of the night, uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb. I know, yes. Right. Uh, opinions on him differ wildly, as might be expected. But one thing everyone can agree on is that he has some fans. He's got a lot right? of fans. Yes. Now, the the best interaction about this that I ever saw was one of his fans on Facebook, and he was arguing with Steven Pinker about something incredibly abstract. Steven Pinker had said something like, um, here is a principle derived from a behavioral experiment that we can understand. And the response was, you fool, here's two pages of abstract mathematics, and as X tends to zero, <laughs> a fucking frog jumps out of Maria Callas and bites the queen on the ass. How possibly could you? And, and a series of abstract equations followed, which is uh, very often with him, I have absolutely no idea how it relates to what's being discussed. But um, as, as, as per usual, I suppose... Yeah, if I didn't understand that, that would mean that I was the, the, the abject moron flung from space to curse the human race, which is, I think, how it generally goes. But after this post, he'd called Steven Pinker Pinker Boy. And the first comment- that, that, That's his go-to insult. I, I have absolutely no idea how it works. I try not to pay attention to anyone who's louder than me because I, I assume yeah. it's a pathology. <laughs> so, he, he, he'd basically gone- Pinker boy, here is a, a, a series of uh, mathematical inverted nippled horseshit that no one can understand. And the first comment was, well, I didn't understand any of that, but I loved the use of pinker boy. Uh, right? Yeah. So it was like, I, I, I love what you say. I freely admit I don't understand it. Please insult someone else. I think now, this is quite- it- <laughs> I, I think this is quite- um, Quite a common problem. Um, I, uh, I like to call this the um, almost in, in one way that the Pete Evans effect. Now, James, would you uh, mind explaining? To our, Pete. Would you, Would you mind explaining to our non-Australian listener, listen, listeners who the hell Pete Evans is? Pete Evans is an invertebrate <laughs> wearing the skin of a human being, which has been either painted. Or exposed to radiation until it is the color. It, it, it is the color of a secondhand handbag you would find in a Goodwill. He has teeth that are whiter than the population of Dan's town, <laughs> and he is a celebrity chef. And you can't hear the inverted quotation marks around both of those. I think he had some commercial success cooking food. Um, maybe he was on a television show. 
Anyway, I, I, he looks he looks like a he looks like a small leather wallet with an expensive haircut and a, a row of uh, luminescent tombstones glued to the middle of his face. Um, he is a ridiculous little man, and I, he went from "Here is how to make a salad" to broad <laughs> pronouncements about health and nutrition and how the food supply should be structured, and more or less anything to do with calories go in face hole. Um, he's moved towards advancing an opinion on. The only problem with that, and obviously there's plenty of chefs who know exactly what they're talking about when it comes like that because it's, it's directly related to their industry, but the only problem for him is that he is as dumb as a plank. So scientists have continually told him to not talk because it is bad. <laughs> Um, bad in the sense that what he's saying is potentially scaring people, wasting their money and utterly without evidence. And generally, they're not quite as personal as I am. But he's grown into a kind of parody figure. Um, and he has an awful lot of people who, who think he's a sort of a tanned, leathery Jesus and a much larger community of people who think that he's adult. Um, I wrote a blog post several years ago about the kind of food anxiety called uh, I'm going to eat Pete Evans. Oh, really? Um, because, <laughs> we have to link to that for sure. Because, I don't even remember that. No, it's perfectly okay. <laughs> I barely remember it myself. The whole point being, if the, you're so anxious about if you're so anxious about everything that's that's going into you, at some at some point in time, there's there's nothing that you can eat. <laughs> you, you, you're you're out of you're out of options, and the you only have to, thing you have to become a, a, a pesca pescatarian. Uh, it's a it's a Petertarian in Peter, this Peter, context Petertarian. there's 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 only there's only one properly fed there's only one serious properly fed thing that's eating all the biodynamic <laughs> organic feldspar etc etc the only thing that's being fed properly the, or the the food that my food eats and it needs to be paleo obviously so. The only solution is to eat Pete Evans. That's- he became famously ridiculous when he released his. You've seen these things uh, from influencers, which is uh, what what we apparently call uh, psychos these days. It's um, uh, professional narcissists essentially who who write articles about like my 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 your, day in food, your wake up routine, everything I ate today, and he he sent one of these to uh, a magazine. It was like, what do you have every day? It was it was the most amazing explosion of uh, activated almonds and orris root tea and <laughs> uh, carob enemas and, you know, I have my face set on fire at half past four <laughs> to improve my skin. And uh, that, was, that was the start of uh, – if you ever hear people refer to activated almonds, it's, he's, it's, respon- he's directly responsible for the popularization. Of activated almonds. His latest uh, bit of advice is uh, first thing in the morning, go out of your house and look up into the sun. <laughs> what? You, it's just joking. A, no, sorry. That, hang on. What, why did you? Why did you? Why did you bring the charlatan up in the first place? Tim? Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So, so basically, it, the, the Pete Evans effect. When someone comes up and proposes, or you know. Think, thinks themselves as an expert, and they say and they say wrong things, which are clearly wrong, and people tell them they're wrong. People who know a lot more about the the, the subject, then the problem with this is 
the more wrong they're told they are, they actually use this as ammunition and their support and to get more supporters behind them. Yeah. So then Pete Evans is now using this in a way of like telling his supporters, big medicine is after me, telling you stuff you don't want to hear. This is the truth. And people are using it that way, m- much in the same way of how many, many chiropractors operate. Um, I know- Well, then that's how all conspiratorial thinking exactly. operates. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so- attacks, attacks are evidence that you're speaking uncomfortable truths. So- This is the, that- the point where you start comparing yourself to Galileo. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know where I wrote this. I, I was quite happy with this a while ago. And they said, well, they, they, they laughed at Galileo. And I go, we also, we also laugh at the guy who's so drunk he forgets where his pants are and falls into a hedge. Um, you don't you, – you, the, 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 kind of, the whole kind of martyrdom thing yeah, but um, ha- in, in general is a it's, – it's it, all, all true morons have the ability to – use that particular cognitive sleight of hand. My question is, though, we as researchers should have have a responsibility to call people out when they're saying things that are clearly wrong. But what do we do when those things are actually used against us, so to speak? We should be saying something, but then by saying something, we're actually almost taking our cause backwards. What do we do? Well, one of the, one of the things that your average celebrity on television talking about the IAT. I'm sure that's a much reduced form of celebrity or popularization or whatever. People have people have a human connection to them because of everything they've done. And they they don't have that with an anonymous expert that comes in saying facts and figures and a note from my mother and be quiet. If you want to play that game, you may have some kind of obligation if you want to be effective to humanize yourself. I've been told by lunatics on the internet that I'm part of a conspiracy and I'm making I'm making lots of money, and <laughs> I don't care enough. Uh, I don't care enough uh, about them to to argue with it. But the one thing I did think of doing at some point in time was I was wearing a pair of socks and he's going, "Ah, oh, oh, you got all the money and your thing. You stick it in a big pile like science smaug." You're sitting on a huge pile of gold coins. I was wearing a pair of socks that had holes in them, and I thought mm. the best reply to this would be taking a photo of a pair, this this particular pair of my socks. I think you brought up a really good point that these people have built up a, a rapport with their followers, and perhaps one of the best ways to actually counter that is to is to do that yourself. And I think one person who's doing that great is the gynecologist Jennifer Gunther. Is that her name? I was. Gunter, yeah, Gunter. I was just, I was just thinking about she her. is a, she is amazing. So basically, um, quite, quite quite a lot of things that she's written about is how ridiculous most of the articles on Goop, who was Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle brand, whatever that is. Um, we are not engaging with that. We are not at all. But anyway, she does a fantastic job of actually humanizing, and it's just. just Anything, anything that's garbage out there, she'll point it out. And so, rather than sort of this person that pops out out of nowhere going, hey, this thing's wrong, basically, she's built up a massive following, a much-deserved following on her blog and on Twitter, uh, just uh, just calling out bullshit. And I love it. And perhaps that seems to be the most effective way of actually countering this stuff is not being this kind of um, 
you know, this, this intellectual that, that pops up and has their comment like a gopher, but an actual person who was, who was constantly and consistently saying, hey, guys, girls, this is actually wrong. One of the central problems of that is that the people who very much embrace their position as clever person in the public eye which is usually it results in some degree of charlatanism. People who really embrace that really want to do it, and a lot of scientifically minded people really don't. Yeah, but the thing is, um, I, I don't get that charlatan. Okay, go on. talking, very rude. See, this is the problem people have with it. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is, I, 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 would, I would say it's, uh, I thought a great thing, a great thing the other day. It's like, like how much money would you forego to have 100000 involved keen twitter followers and people like oh i couldn't handle the stress i don't want it i'll i take 20 cents over that <laughs> i just i just don't care um but i tell you what the 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 person who wishes to be the civic figure in the public eye who's clever would say that they would look at that and they would say how many of those people are going to buy my book how many of those people are going to buy something through my website how much well, if they're engaged they will is that what do what do those people represent to me as a capacity to sell things and promote what I'm doing? And a lot of the responses, I couldn't tell you where it was on Twitter. I thought it was very interesting. A lot of the responses were just like, I have absolutely no interest in even dipping a toe in that pool. So the idea of that many people looking at me fills me with a certain kind of distaste. Did you post this or was it something you came across? Oh, God, no. No, I, I, I came across it somewhere. Yeah, see if you can find someone, it, link to it because that's a really good experiment. To, someone will be able to, to, to dig it out after that. Help us, um, listeners. I mean, that's there's people people who are kind of like headline newspapers, journalists and TV anchors and shit like that don't have the, that many people who read what they say, even in the micro-twirtle format. So- Think about think about the, the, the. I would simply say to to people who are in that situation, and so like so the, all the people who'd say, "I can put a dollar value on that and tell you what I'm going to do with them," are probably the people who you don't want making blanket public pronouncements in the first place. So you know, I mean, part of the original question as well is like, uh, to what degree are you obliged to push back? How are you supposed to represent yourself? Like once you once you wear the mantle of responsibility of doing science, etc., then um, you know how how much how much credence I suppose do you have to pay to the idea of getting involved? Mm. It's all it's all a bit sewery. I can absolutely understand the distaste of wanting to do it in the first place. Um, I know an awful lot of an awful lot of academics are like, oh, I had one interaction with a journalist one time and it all went to shit and now it's just, it's just like they, they call and I hang up, they email and I don't write back to them because, you know, I got I got burned. The funny thing is that they'll send out a funny tweet saying, ha, I had two papers immediately rejected today. <laughs> Lol, people are rejecting me left, right and center. My life isn't always what it is. I'm like, yeah, well, okay, you still keep writing journal articles, but yeah, that's my <laughs> job. Well... <laughs> This is presenting facts to the world in a different format could also be your job. I think it's um, look, there are so many debates as to this whole idea of whether scientists should also be science communicators. Uh, I'm on the side that it's just so important, um, just for science in general, to actually have people who are 
just to, just just calling out stuff that's right. Sorry, calling out stuff that's right, but also calling out stuff that's wrong. Um, well, it, more it, sort of, I do. Like you've kept you saying wrong a lot, and it's irritating me. Um, you mean with or without evidence? Or yes, like yes, a, yes. A, yeah. a reflection on what can and can't be supported about what's being said. Which is the other thing. It's like it's fine. It's fine to speculate horribly if it's interesting. People do it all the time. There's public pronouncements made by people in every walks of life who are just absolute. They're, they're, they're newts that have somehow grown a voice box babbling about horseshit. They exist everywhere. There's politicians who are idiots. There's economists who are idiots. There's people working on the television who are professional <laughs> idiots. There's the, the, the inability to understand complicated subjects is, is not something that happened to scientists who grew into people in the public eye. Let, so, let me take it this way. Okay, Do- doctors, they take a Hippocratic Oath, yeah? Um, mm. Should we have the same thing for research? When you finish, when you get your PhD, you do some oath, I'm not going not gonna to do any research fraud, I'm not going to say anything, that's, that's stupid. Should we actually do this? And uh, the, but the second question related to that is, how are we going to police it? Yeah, so yeah, people- I was, about to, doc- I was about to ask, how do you doctors? Doctors have registration boards- you do something silly, your registration board can strip you of your registration. How are we possibly well, going to have some sort of data, <laughs> some sort of there's police? There's also a difference in extremity, Dan, because a lot of the time when someone does something silly, it means that four people die from failed liver transplants or they leave a sponge in your rectal cavity. Mm. That's not to and say, not though, the, that we and can't- not the fun bit, you know? He's <laughs> like, oh, I was doing a heart operation. I accidentally perforated your spleen. I mean- the the, the the stakes are obviously higher. Of, of course, of course. I mean, if it, you could if you could do something like this, a little bit like research fraud. I mean, obviously there's gradations of things that are more or less accurate, more or less honest. But the things that tend to really fall out the other side and get kicked down the road are the, obviously the incredibly bad ones. I so, saw you know, have you seen this Dr. Oz character they have here? Yes. Is he still kicking around? How, yes. how has he not been deregistered? <laughs> well, that's, I mean, if, if, they can't, if they can't get around to getting his medical license, tearing it into a thousand pieces, putting the pieces into a cannon and firing it into his face, I have absolutely no idea. He would say he's not offering medical advice, yeah, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's running a lifestyle show. But, I mean- Look, what 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 your plan would do is maybe not necessarily reduce the, the the behavior of people as much as set a standard that needs to be publicly acknowledged by everyone who's involved. Sure. It means that you have a kind of a baseline understanding from which you can have a discussion, not the fact that you expect people to go out and enforce it the entire time. This I is do- a, a little bit how I how I think of the, the investigating research fraud as well. The, what, what that happens, I mean, the things that really get traction, the things that people really want to talk about is when everything went horribly wrong. It makes great news copy. It makes scientists absolutely furious. They talk about it all the time. But the one thing that does is it, it you're, obviously you're only catching the worst people when it sure. comes to are we detecting enormous problems with published information? And does is, is it a normal question or questionable research practices more of a problem than the occasional utterly dishonest person or utterly reckless person almost certainly yes but right? i think but it creates 
the narrative around this should be discussed. This is a pertinent issue. It could be a good first step, but I think a lot of this comes down to this idea that researchers aren't good at admitting when they're wrong. And I think a lot of this comes down to the idea of- No, I'm not. Yeah, it it comes down to this idea of- basically of, of, of retractions and how we do retractions for, for research at, at its core. And I think what we really need is, because right now, a retraction just puts a black mark on your name. You've got a retraction and instantly people will think, well, research fraud, not necessarily mm. that it was an honest mistake. I to think some we agree. Ha- all right. Okay. I think we need like three levels, say, of retraction. You have a green retraction, which everyone agrees is an honest mistake. Yeah. So, I made an honest mistake. They did the thing. There's an there's an orange retraction where you know what the Words. evidence isn't clear. Mm, yeah, it's indeterminable. Either way, right? indeterminable. And then you have your red retraction where it's extremely clear. It is night night and day that you actually did something really bad. Right. If we had this sort of traffic light retraction system, then people would be more likely to go. You know what? Green retraction, guys. I stuffed up. My bad. Let's move on. And yeah. it actually will separate these really bad sort of red or, or yellow retractions. And it, just, it still gives some wiggle room with the yellow retraction compared to these other things. If we introduce something like this, I reckon it'll go a long way to actually helping researchers admit, I made a mistake and I want to correct the research record. Because right now, people don't want to do it unless unless they're dragged kicking and screaming by the editor to go. Mm, yeah, right. And I delay everything for six months and just yeah, yeah. don't want to deal with it because they know it's going to be a huge problem. It becomes yeah. self-sustainingly difficult. All right. So, here's a here's a- that's that makes a certain amount of intuitive sense to me. Um, do you think if with with ideas like that we would be breeding researchers who are less likely to go out and become kind of figures of public overconfidence? People who's I mean it, it's. I mean, little little things like that, I suppose, bleed into a broader environment of thinking about how qualifications and mistakes work. Mm. But you, you look, you you're, you're right about it. There, there's because everything's so difficult to do in science. It's hard to get the money. It's hard to do the work. It's hard to publish the work because everything's so difficult to do, and because things are a lot of the time adversarial. You do develop a sense in which you you are pushed to come up with justifications of things. I wonder if that bleeds into the the overconfidence, you know, the 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 position where you be like, oh, I can write a popular book on that. I'll go out and sell a million billion <laughs> copies. It's, it's like, yeah, I know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been raised in a system where. You justify everything you say by reflex, look clever, deflect, etc. So, it's not a bad idea, Daniel. We're encouraging a different kind of discourse. And I mean, there's lots of there's lots of retractions where I would be horrified if people were angry at the authors. Fuck ups happen. Yeah, I mean, we need to encourage these things. Absolutely. And when everyone is, I've I've seen people be extremely not not pleased. No one likes to see research go down like this, but they've been very complimentary towards the attitude of people who've had their own stuff retracted. They go, you know what? It's it's wrong. It's not supportable anymore. I think it should be removed, and I wrote it. That is received with a certain amount of respect. 
Mm. Rather than a claim, like, hooray, retracted literature said no one ever. But more kind of, okay, well, I, I respect the fact that you are being honest about this and more people should be like you and I'm going to mail you a tin of biscuits. I like biscuits. I wish people mailed me a tin of biscuits. Have you? I've seen actually a few people on Twitter pr- propose that we should almost have a bounty system, much like companies have for detecting bugs in their software, that journals should put out a bounty of um, a hundred bucks. Yeah, if you if you if you if you find an error in someone's paper, um, and then uh, and then you email the author and it turns out to be a legit error, then the person who finds it gets a hundred bucks. I don't know what I think about that because maybe it's going to breed people just looking through but maybe if people know oh this is a bounty journal they're actually going to be more careful about the stuff it's not about catching people who are frauds i don't i think that's a very small proportion but it's about making sure people are more careful about the stuff that they're actually posting Mm. and by doing that i don't know i I, i'm I'm a bit 50 50 about whether such a system would be good but hey it works a lot a lot of public companies do these bounty things they they call white hat people White hat coders, white white hat hackers, or something. I don't know. Some sometimes people who do like uh, penetration testing and stuff like that. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, you're, you're you're doing it. You're doing it to make it stronger. So it's um it's 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 done in the service of trying to improve what you're doing rather than out of I think sort of on some kind of pure curiosity i wonder if i can get into xyz is somewhere in the middle or kind of a gray zone and then there's stealing four million people's credit card information (laughs) and selling it to a russian drug lord but if we really care about what the actual findings are or scientific truth whatever that means then and if we and yeah i know i know and and if we had a sort of green retraction system then people wouldn't care Oh look, someone someone got a hundred buck bounty because they found um, an error in your thing. Oh, and then and then other researchers like, oh, it's green error. This is fine. Okay, cool. Like we're retracting it because of X, Y, Z. And and as a result, science actually improves. Yeah. And the the reason that I love this um, loss of confidence project, um, and the stuff that um uh, that Rebecca Willen is doing, that's actually posting on her CV, um, all, all the other analysis decisions that she didn't report in the papers, is that it actually makes people realize, um the sort of decisions that go into these things, yeah? Of course. I mean, you we you can't discount at the end of the day. There, there are certain people, but we're, we're talking about scientists in the public eye who oversell what they know, or what they're qualified to say. We're, we're talking about them as inevitable products of a system that doesn't really want to deal with mistakes and various elements of uncertainty, but there are also miserable, venal, shiny people who start doing, start they, they become an expert because an expert has cachet for them to become more important. There are people who make it through the scientific process who are professional narcissists. <laughs> who want to do it because it puts them in a position to be able to leverage them being interesting, clever, or important. Mm. Um, I will. I will. I mean, we're running out of time anyway. But let's not start running down the list of people who I think can get mm-hmm. in the Mariana's yeah. trench and live it's, there. That, that, um, that's for the bonus Dan's, episode. Dan's, Dan's got his Dan's got his legal threats eyes on right now. <laughs> slightly wider than his normal eyes. Um, but look, I, I I honestly don't think 
that many of them. I think most people are just tripping over how they're being treated. They're asked to comment on something that they don't know. At some point in time, you you get into a habit of thinking that because it's well-received, you you know what you're talking about. I mean, you've heard of Nobel disease, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People right. pe- people you, you, were Nobel for doing the thing that they actually deserve to do, and then after right. that, they just got go I, off their rocker. I, exactly. I get a Nobel Prize in high-energy physics, and then all of a sudden, I'm going, well, the hydrological record means that yeah. climate change was invented <laughs> by orange elves. Because of, of the Nobel thing. Yeah, it's it's so true. It's so, I mean, that's sufficiently common that someone named it, <laughs> right? That's that's promiscuous confidence. That's someone who's a real genuine expert. Yeah, I mean, you you, you have to be. You you need to you need to give the original ideas that you've had twenty five thirty years to to come to fruition. Anyway, it's very uncommon that. You know, because you're waiting and see what kind of impact they have. But at some point in time, I mean, this is the highest possible recognition. I am a goddamn genius on a shining hill. And people forget, people forget that it is really hard to genuinely know something. When you reward them at some point in time and they find out their speculation will do. And there's no consequences to that. Nor is there not necessarily have to be. I mean, you can't. You can't. The, the the internet existing should be good evidence that you can't just police <laughs> statements that everyone makes for accuracy. And there's a <laughs> tremendous amount of interest in that everywhere now because of uh, you know f- fake information being what it is. It's, so uh, look, you just. I mean. Look, just throw your career away and take a bat to everyone you see that you don't agree with and become a combative, miserable old man living in a garage in Poughkeepsie, writing emails on a Pentium 386. (laughs) But at least you'll be right. At least you'll be right. And you'll be right in your heart where it matters. Literally, every, literally everything I've just said is not advice. This this podcast does not dispense medical or <laughs> life advice. No, no, not at all. Oh, please nothing, don't. Nothing, please, po- nothing that doesn't we say should say. be used as a diagnostic category. In fact, many of the things we say are, are probably borderline unsanitary. I've ordered the EPA to Dan's house several times and to the point where they've asked me to stop emailing him. Like, oh, but he's spreading mental pollution. Yeah. Apparently that's not a thing. And now I'm on a list. We, we, we're going to finish up for the episode today. I hope you enjoyed that listener question. Please keep sending them in. And if we do... That's a superb question. If we, if we, do, if we do feature your question in a show, we will send you stuff. Uh, at the very least, we'll send you some, uh, some bonus Unagrable. episodes. But uh, please con- contact us on Twitter Unagrable. over DM. We are Hertz Podcast on Unagrable. our Facebook group. Jane. <laughs> On our on our face on our Facebook group as well, um, and uh, keep an eye out for our um, uh, for new stuff that's coming up as well. We've got a lot of plans, and um, we've got a new guest coming up for our ne- next episode as well. She's oh, gonna be fantastic. It's gonna be good. Gonna be very we very do good. Something useful. Finally, oh. l- l- listen to what she says, just not what we say. 
Thanks yeah, for listening. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Ignore and us. Yes, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back in it again soon in two weeks for the next episode of Everything Hurts. Be good. Don't stab anyone when the cops are watching. <laughs>